0: wednesday and thanks for coming back to the andromeda minute a show where in the time of plague 2020 we are going over one minute uh every episode of probably one of the more unusually timely movies of uh of the day uh the 1971 robert wise directed feature the andromeda strain i'm one of your hosts jim o'cane of tvdads.com the apollo 13 minute the rocketeer minute uh the airport minute and uh producer of the hitchcock minute
1: Speaking of the Hitchcock Minute, I was just on that, but who am I? I am Brett Stillo, fellow podcaster, Movie Minute veteran. Uh, You can hear me on Five Minutes of Bonsai, Five Minutes of Trouble, and the aforementioned Hitchcock Minute. We enjoyed our segment uh, on that one, Jim. That was a lot of fun. Uh,
0: great show, yeah! It's it, it's really great listening to people who love a movie talk about a movie. So oh, God, that's why that's, we're
1: here. Yeah, that's yeah. why we're here. And I I also want to mention I personally feel I am the world's greatest living authority on the history of Project Scoop.
0: <laughs> that I, we know of. They the other ones have been you know ordered into silence. So. yeah, yeah,
1: clandestine <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I've been snooping around Vandenberg. Uh, you know, garbage bins around there getting what I can about uh, Project Scoop. I believe this was Scoop 7.
0: Yes, Uh, yes. Yeah, one through six. Uh, heaven knows when they're coming back to Earth, but uh, oh. one of them may have been captured by V'ger, So we, you know, there we'll you go. That. There you go. <laughs> it has something to do with Robert Wise. Does not like space probes. That's, yeah, they're just out <laughs> to get you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like space probes. But that's uh, we'll get into that. So yeah, here we are, yeah. Wednesday, minute two of these amazing titles,
0: and and an amazing a bit of casting for this film uh you can tell because there are really no big stars i mean the number one star as we as we bring up this uh this movie the f- the first one mentioned is uh starring arthur hill and you know you can see audiences turning to each other going who <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i mean you know arthur hill was a great he, he, great actor in his own right um but you'd say he's one of you know one of those guys it's like oh he's he's like uh the the guy that was the prosecutor opposite uh, E.G. Marshall and uh, Richard Long on the defenders, or he was—he yeah. Yeah, he was, he was like a sick guy that showed up at Marcus Welby's house. <laughs> he, he was always just some uh, plucky attorney or doctor who uh, would show up and disappear after an episode or two, or maybe an FBI agent. Um, but his his future was still to come the following uh, the following summer after this, when he landed uh, Owen Marshall, attorney at law, uh, great great procedural long before, uh, the days of law and order.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The sort of the legal spinoff of Marcus Wilby, MD, uh, it,
0: I, yeah, I think that's where he started, wasn't it? it was, yeah. It, think,
1: yeah. You know, the, uh, I, I don't know if they do this as much anymore, but us, us old timers might remember the spinoff episode where we yeah. would be watching a, a favorite seventies TV series. And, and suddenly there's a new guy like Arthur Hill. Playing lawyer Owen Marshall, and uh hey, this is not Marcus Welby, you know Robert Young sort of showed up in the the first five minutes and the last five minutes, and uh he started to think, "Hey, I think I just watched a pilot, <laughs> Gary Seven, right uh, yeah,
0: exactly yeah, it's like, wait a minute, where are these people from yeah so it's yeah how how come suddenly they have all new sets who who could afford this?" And uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's where Arthur Hill uh, found his found his little niche, and then uh, would uh, still go on as a journeyman uh, guest star in future episodes. Uh, funnily enough, ending his, or you know completing his career on television in uh, where where all older guest stars go to uh, go to live on at uh, Murder She Wrote exactly. <laughs> with James Olsen.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and just I I love Arthur Hill. There's something about that look I get nostalgic for. He's he's like. Every dad from that era, or the idealization of every dad from that era. And he's, you know, he he was often sort of, yeah, the good bureaucrat. Um, If you couldn't get Richard Anderson for the role, you got Arthur Hill. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Or uh, Lloyd Bachner, a fellow Canadian. Yes. You know, yes. they just had that look of these guys did not have adolescence. They did not go through their 20s. They just sort of I think they were born, had a brief childhood and then became 40 years old for yes. about 30 years. Yeah, uh, they were
0: salt and pepper. The salt and pepper generation gets kind of stretched out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. These are the yeah, they are. the They are the sons of Fred McMurray. They all have pipes. They all have <laughs> three piece suits. I think they were all under contract with Universal, too. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. They, were, they would they would get got jobs in the background on on NBC mystery movies for for decades.
1: Yeah, one and one thing about this movie, I mean, it's it's an A production. It's a theatrical release. It's got a nice budget, but it there is this TV movie, ABC movie of the week kind of element to it with uh, with your cast, who I imagine some of them. Uh, were contract players with Universal, as I recall. You know, Universal was one of the last studios to have people under contract.
0: Yeah, and, I, uh, I think uh, I, I, I we discussed this in on uh, the airport minute. Uh, how many of the people that were populating the seats on the global the transglobal flight too? Were uh, contract Universal players, including no less than uh, Pat Priest, who played, played uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Munster. Right on the Munsters. Uh, she was finishing up her contract, and so she got to sit behind Helen Hayes in uh, uh, on the airport movie, and uh, just kind of funny seeing her <laughs> there, just marking time before she could uh, go home and and, and uh, you know get her paycheck. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, just ditto okay. here. You have you have people in the cast who uh, just probably got a call. Hey, we need you on stage six. Uh, what am I doing? You're an, you're a you're a soldier. You're a guard. You have two lines. Uh, you know, uh, you're under contract, so just just do what you're told. And you know, okay, fine. Oh, is there a lunch break? Of course, there's a lunch break. We'll see it yeah. at commissary. So, you're still a
0: 44 along right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, this is a movie where you sort of recognize everybody. But, you know, that's that's one of the great joys of doing these Movie Minute podcasts is we, you know, we do our homework and, uh, you know, there is a name now attached with that face. Uh, I'm going to jump way ahead to uh, say Ramon Bieri. Oh, uh, yes. Who uh, I believe he, he's an Air Force officer in this. Uh, to me, he was always the grumpy dad. Uh, he, he would sort of play, you know, he, he made a career out of playing grumpy dads on shows like the Brady Bunch of the Partridge family and uh, a face I immediately recognized from my TV childhood. But now I have the name Ramon Bieri. So that's who he was. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I was that way with uh, seeing David Wayne. Uh, David Wayne, uh, in here he gets to play Dr. Charles Dutton. And he hadn't been in a feature film in a while, let alone being one of the leads yeah. In a feature film. Yeah. And uh, I, it, it, the funny thing was, he after he landed this, I mean, Arthur Hill landed. Um, uh, he, he managed to book uh, Owen Marshall, attorney at law, but uh, David Wayne got to be the third listed uh, character on a show with Larry Hagman called The Good Life, where he played a, <laughs> a billionaire, a multi millionaire, and uh, he was so happy about being a feature film player, uh, playing the role of Doctor Charles Dutton. That he asked the uh, producers of the Good Life if he could use the use the name again, so he became Charlie Dutton Millionaire on uh, on the Good Life uh, that next that next season on NBC.
1: That was his lucky charm, and I'll, I'll bet you the Good Life was a Universal production.
0: Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, David, Wayne, yeah, great character actor. I, you know, I, I I guess it's something about his his features. He sort of looks like he could be Ray Walston's. Uh, you know, older brother or something like that. I,
0: I always thought he was like a, a transporter malfunction of Burgess Meredith. Um, he had yep. kind of that. He he could he he got the roles that Burgess Meredith didn't get. That's that's what I I, I get a feeling they were at audition sitting across from each other on a bench, like, hmm, did you get it? Did you get it? So yeah, you know, I could, could I can totally see that have, too. Yeah. Yeah, he could have he could have broken his glasses and and not been able to read in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah.
1: And of course, there you go. I mean, I I know David Wayne did a a Twilight Zone or two. Can't remember which one. But yeah, a stalwart TV guy. I mean, I'm sure he did a Dr. Kildare, of course. Would you say he's probably best known for playing
0: the Mad Hatter on Batman? i i would think that mostly anybody who appeared on uh on batman that would be their most famous role yeah and uh yeah. definitely you know he he obviously knew how to handle uh comedy and uh he was you know, he's an old hoofer from long long ago so he he could really anything they threw at him was like sure put on a funny hat paint you know dye my hair red sure why not so uh it's a steady paycheck and uh he got to work on the uh on the the Fox lot instead, so I'm sure he he knew he knew the way to many studios uh, over his career. Um, but and I, all of these, uh, the the feeling that I get with all the people that are on this show, is that Robert Wise had dealt with them before, either on TV shows or in movies, and they were all somewhere in his Rolodex, and so why don't we get this guy? We know him from this or that. You know, it, I, I picture Robert Wise sitting down with the casting director and doing one of those uh, Mission Impossible things with just flipping through eight by tens and going, yeah, I know this guy and this guy and this guy. We'll put them in and, and uh, tr- we'll try this new one out and she looks okay and we'll, we'll do that. So, yeah.
1: Um, I-, I feel like Wise was maybe going, you know, the, the film has a a very low key, like semi-documentary feel and maybe going with just stalwart character people, you know, no, no big names. Could have been very easy to cast george c scott and Jimmy somewhere. yeah
0: jimmy stewart or something yeah, like yeah. jimmy yeah. stewart is
1: doctor yeah as playing the david Ray- wayne role but uh everybody's familiar but nobody is uh you know there's there's no big marquee yeah, there's, names there yeah uh, there's,
0: there's nobody there to pull pull you out of the movie you don't say oh i know this guy already and I, I saw him when he was a priest in this show or you know it doesn't it doesn't do that to you so yeah yeah good, good point
1: yeah again you mentioned Mission Impossible. So yeah, they're you know, you just have these professional people. Uh, you know, and we're going we're let's mention James Olsen now cuz he definitely fits into that. Uh yeah. A a Quinn Martin guy if there ever was one.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, Project UFO. And yeah, uh, he he's very yeah, he <laughs> He knew how to do four acts in an epilogue. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. And yeah, uh, and, and utter, utterly, I mean, he, he's a great actor, but utterly unmemorable. You don't go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember all the, the cinema. James Olsen really doesn't pop up into your head, which is great for this role. Yeah.
1: Um, I remember James Olson just, yeah, primarily the 70s and Formula TV and playing a lot of bad guys. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah. In this, he is uh, a, he's, kind of a heroic character uh he's also sort of the foil here yeah a uh, bit of a wise guy and yeah.
0: he, he's also because he did you know he he doesn't read the uh all the all the different pre-emails that uh, arthur hill was sending him he doesn't know what's going on so we get to use him as the uh, organizing sensibility for all the exposition going on you know, yeah 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 he's the-
1: he yeah he's the he's asking the questions that the audience members are asking um yeah. And uh, but again, you know, I think of James Olsen, uh Yeah, as a character guy, but generally playing, you know, nasty guys. He, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think I remember him on a McMillan and wife. And there we go. Universal again. And he's, you yeah. know, he's a he's a conniving executive. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he, he gets to play the good guy in this one.
0: Yeah, and uh, very very well. I, I think he he was perfectly cast for this. Um, he's not the most likable character in this. He seems to be a bit. Um, he's a legend in his own mind. He knows his own. Uh, he knows his own abilities and thinks that other people should uh, kind of a bit of a benedict cumberbatch in um, uh, dr strange he could have a yeah. feeling that he he's a great surgeon and he knows it and he does he insists on letting you know that he knows it
1: yeah the the, so. the classic doctor with the god complex yeah and uh we his introduction which will be down the line kind of just totally serves that up but uh let me ask is, is james olsen still around is he retired uh,
0: yes he is uh uh, he's in his eighties. I've reached out, but I have not heard anything back. I would love to talk with him about this. I don't know how much of a a talker he is with this thing, but uh, as as we are recording this, he's still still with us on the planet. Uh, awesome. So maybe before before the show ends, maybe we can we can have a chat with him. Um, and Mr. Olson, if you are listening, let me know. Please reach out to me. I would be happy to to get you set up with a headset. <laughs> <laughs> so we can talk about your uh, your your thoughts on this film. Uh, I'm sure you're not tired of. Talking about this work,
1: yeah. celebrities. If you appear on this show, you receive a <laughs> complimentary headset.
0: Yes, that's my standing standing uh, authorization from, from me. If you if you've been on the movie, you get a headset. It'll be it'll be fine. Such a deal. Um, I'm interested in uh, a fascinating bit of. Uh, I think I want to say groundbreaking, but it's a, a fascinating bit of casting is getting Kate Reid on board here and uh kate reed as uh dr ruth levitt the character in the book of course was male and uh making a switch because they put kate reed in on the film uh changed the changed the environment they used the same i mean they didn't change the the words they just changed the uh uh, the the person playing that role um and stroke of genius too i think kate reed excellent stage actress uh we saw her in, also in uh, in television performances later um she was just a great um really fantastic uh, bit of casting you you took her as a colleague uh where at the time if you think of movies like fantastic voyage uh they would have put in the uh, the sex kitten they would have put she would have had to wear a, a spandex suit and have uh, everybody else would be zipped up to the neck and she'd be zipped up to the belly button um, but here she's a nice, you know, middle-aged uh, uh, scientist who happens to be a woman, and uh, not not exactly the most physically fit uh, person on the team. Um, but she is a colleague, and she's more knowledgeable than anybody else about the microbiology going on with uh, this alien life form. Um, so great, uh, very uh, asynchronous with. Uh, with movies being made at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, number one, as you're saying, you know, recasting the role as a female, but yeah, not going the route. You know, I, th- I I, think I read that they talked about, you know, a Raquel Welch type as in Fantastic Voyage. And, you know, it's it's easy to picture, say, you know, Leslie Ann Warren.
0: Yeah.
1: Or, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of actresses could, could do the role. But again, have Kate Reed. I mean, she just, also her demeanor. You know, and she's yes. kind of the foil in this. Uh, you know, again, I think she, there's also a little bit of, you know, as they're as they're decontaminating, I think she's sort of, you know, the uh, cynic, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's what what the, uh, you know, what the audience members are feeling, and, ooh, ooh, and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know. I
0: think she be she becomes she becomes very much your pal. I, I think she's the one that is the most relatable character on here. She knows, you know, she's competent, but she doesn't put up with all the, 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 the gibberish, the, the the mock seriousness that goes on through the whole thing. So, oh, well, this is important. And this is, you know, and she's like, come on, let's get, let's get this done. And let's get where we have to be. Stop making this a gigantic production. So you, you feel for her. And uh, I think she becomes your, your buddy in the, she'd be the one you want to hang with. Of all (laughs) all these people, maybe her and and Charlie Dutton. Yeah. yeah, uh, they're, they're I. Of a kind.
1: Yeah, I feel like if if we take the you know the films, you know it's it's this is based on fact. Uh, her character is the one who writes the book, and yes. uh, you know appears on uh, tomorrow with Tom Snyder around nineteen seventy four, nineteen seventy five.
0: Yeah, yeah, chuffing away on a on a, on a unfiltered camel.
1: <laughs> right, right, yeah, it, yeah. Tom and Snyder stub- likes her. Yeah, they light each other's cigarettes. Yeah, and, and stub-
0: uh, stubbing it out to make a point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So tell me, you're 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 in the, a secret research lab in Nevada. You've never been there before. What's going through your mind?
0: I'm thinking, you're, yeah, your tax dollars are at work. And she yeah. stubs another one out and pulls up <laughs> a zippo and bangs that. Yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> Excellent television. Excellent television. Uh,
0: um, and it, while all this is going on, too, we're, we were talking about this yesterday, uh, uh, Monday, uh, the different. Uh, screens the telemetry that's being fed to you in the background we're seeing uh, the word secret rolling across the screen and we're seeing um different things like uh, orbital trajectories of the scoop 7 mission and showing where the where they were expecting a landing and, and and things like that so uh this it gives you the whole idea that there's a lot going on and and everything seems to have been working the way it was supposed to but they're not quite in charge of what's what's happening. They really this this is a screw up that they're trying to yeah. make look like, uh, like it's a success story.
1: Yeah. Maybe maybe it's time to take a, just a moment to put it into, you know, historical perspective of, you know, this is, uh, you know, telemetry is pretty primitive. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of yeah, a lot of space probes were reentering. Oh, we need to get that data. You know, so it would be, well, it's it's it, to, the way to get it is to come down. It can't transmit it. Uh, yeah, similar. And we, and we've yeah.
0: seen this in other movies like, yeah. like uh, Ice Station Zebra is where I, I'm assuming where you're going. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, exactly. It's just, um, you know, I, I wonder if a modern, a modern audience member uh, or a modern viewer might watch it and say, well, well, why did the why did the satellite come down? Because you know, that's how you get the, the the data. That's how you get the info.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm going to tell a little story here. This is uh, this scoop mission was uh, obviously it was a Department of Defense operation, but it was under the uh, guise of a NASA mission that was supposed to be for uh, examining the upper atmosphere. That you know they were, they were they were examining the upper atmosphere, but what scoop was, and as we'll find out later on, that collecting uh, alien life forms uh, was there was a possibility of using them in bio warfare and uh this secondary mission, the defense mission was not is it, taken from real life back in the day uh, our first uh well going way back before before there were uh satellites um, the Eisenhower, there was there was a thing called the uh, bomber gap, and we were always convinced the uh, the u s was convinced that the uh, Soviet Union had many more bombers than the United States did, but there was no way to tell. They weren't allowed to uh, to find out. So, what uh, what Eisenhower agreed to was to build a a platform, a, a plane that would fly at seventy thousand feet, couldn't be detected by Russian radar, that they could fly over the Soviet Union, take pictures, and come back and and uh, and look at what you know what was on the ground and count the bombers. So. Uh, in 1956, in August of 1956, Eisenhower, you know, allowed the U-2s to go, but then they found out through, uh, through the CIA, the CIA discovered that they actually could discover where the uh, U-2 planes were flying. And so after 10 days, he stopped that He said, well, we need something higher, even higher than that. So they built a, a mission once the, this is even before the first, uh, first American, or before Sputnik, uh, they designed a, a satellite that would go into orbit uh, take pictures and then uh, eject a capsule that would re-enter the atmosphere and then get picked up by an airplane uh, with a parachute. Uh, a, a parachute would be attached to the, to the satellite. Now that uh, didn't come into play until 1960. And uh, of course, when they when they finally got it up there, they discovered that there was no bomber gap. The, <laughs> there, there weren't a lot of there, there weren't an, uh, a lot of planes that the Soviet Union had. We massively overbuilt our uh, our U.S. Uh, uh, aircraft, strategic aircraft. And uh, the NASA had run the mission under a, a group called Discoverer. They were the Discoverer series of satellites, but they had a second name. The second name in uh, that was run by the uh, National Reconnaissance Office, that was a division of, as part of the CIA or uh, adjunct, an adjunct to the CIA. And the uh, the spy mission was called. Um, grab your seat. <laughs> it was it was called the Corona mission, and. Uh, the corona uh, the corona satellites were very similar to the scoop that they were they were dropped from the sky and they were picked up by a uh, uh, a passing aircraft that would grab the parachute so uh corona uh, brought us back a lot of miles and miles of film that was processed and looked looked at and uh, and this this bomber gap was discovered to be non-existent so um yeah so again the word corona just keeps cropping up in uh you know, strange things that we don't quite know about but we're you know find find more information about history
1: um, is weird yeah
0: history is very odd
1: <laughs> history can or um, can be pretty weird yeah uh, it goes around comes around
0: yeah so uh so here we are in uh in 1971 watching all these wonderful characters i mean I, I, you can jump on any of them that you want that you want in there brett i, I yeah
1: we could we could an entire episode uh you know ken swafford is a name that popped up to yes. me uh you know a stout um bulldog faced uh yeah actor. redhead and- yeah i you know and um again you know a universal guy um i can tell you that uh you know david wayne in the mid 70s did a really fun show uh called ellery ellery queen he played inspector yes. queen ellery's father and yeah uh, Ken Swafford had a reoccurring role as a as a nosy reporter on that show.
0: Yeah, he had the he kind of the Richard Jekyll role. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just, yeah, just seeing just seeing like Richard Bull, uh, you know, you see you see them all as. They might have been another police officer on Dragnet, you know. Yeah. They had, which is, you know, yet another Universal. You know, all all these people were either they they might have been drug pushers on Dragnet, or or they might have been uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto on uh, Adam Twelve. Right. But, uh, if if Universal yeah. needed them on set for a day, you know, here put 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 on this um uh you know mask and uh, get you know climb on a motorcycle and you're you're going to be the bad guy this yeah. week. If so,
1: uh, if I can if I can ask cuz I I'm not exactly sure but um you know 71 you know the the big studios are really starting to crumble you know I think this is when they're right, sort yeah. of looking at the lots and saying hey this this could be condominiums but universal is going strong and you know one fascinating thing about this movie is it's it really is an in-house production it's it's yeah. you know kind of like airport which you talked about uh You know it was and what we've been talking about here you know you've got universal contract players you've got you know Universal lighting guys it's uh, you know the titles are done by Universal titles Uh, could you maybe set the stage of like why was Universal able to carry on like it was you know 1940 or 1950 Uh, would that be Lou Wasserman or
0: yeah Lou, Lou, Lou Wasserman would really he managed i mean lou Wasserman was a music guy he mca music corporation of america uh had taken over you know they 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 blended uh the music and uh and all these these properties that universal had uh and he figured out that it was all tied together if you could come up with a cheap product you know keep keep the studio going when when places like you were saying that mgm was diversifying they were buying hotels and they were getting out of the studio business and film was dying there weren't there weren't the, the days of uh of the spectaculars you know the days of the things that robert wise meant made like you know like ben-hur and, and sound of music all that was going out the window you saw hello dolly coming out and being a flop and and other, you know, other Dr. Doolittle, things like that, it, they weren't hitting where they were. So they didn't need huge casts of people. But one, one software area that was constantly, you know, a, a constantly hungry maw that needed to be filled was television. And NBC and Universal had this semi-incestuous relationship where Universal would make many feature films or many many feature shows and nbc would just scoop them all up I mean, they populated everything from uh the uh the the sunday mystery movie and uh things like ironside and uh oh gosh i can't i can't even name them all you know uh uh heck ramsey and uh uh, McMillan and wife and Columbo and uh, the Snoop sisters and, and uh, uh, the name of the game. Um, I, I it, 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 Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's 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 incredible how many things were made by Universal that eventually wound up on NBC and also on CBS. Yeah. CBS had had a bunch of stuff, but they they knew how to or Wasserman knew how to parlay what he had in the dying movie industry and move it over to tv and make money at it and and keep it on keep it keep it in house so and reuse sets constantly i mean we're going to see we're going to see sets from airport we're going to see uh we're going to we're going to see the Munsters house we're going to see a bunch of a bunch of sets uh reused right here on the uh, on the universal lot that show up here and uh it was affordable and they didn't have to you know there, there weren't there weren't a lot of third parties coming in and, and renting out as they would in the eighties. Um, most of the, most of the studios in the eighties and nineties would wind up being a, uh, a resource for independent production companies to come in, uh, put together, you know, they put together um, a limited partnership, go in, make a movie and then close down that enterprise. And all they would do is they would hire the, the facilities of universal or Warner or Fox or, or, sunset gower or Paramount, and all of all those places became uh like public storage lots or you know some background that they could do in-house um before everything moved to canada and uh and georgia uh but this this was this was where you could see the genius of lou wasserman being able to parlay these things instead of uh, burning stuff to the ground the way uh the way fox and mgm were doing at the same time uh so it's it's kind of if you're if you're watching old you know if you're watching nick at night or something like that watch how many times you see that uh that mca uh, universal logo pops up at the end of the show and uh, it gives you an idea of the strength of that particular studio versus the other uh the other ones in town
1: yeah and just to kind of add to what you're saying you know all these these theatrical films these tv movies uh let's, let's bring up the abc movie of the week which a bunch of those were probably made at universal yeah. Um, that way we can also tie in Douglas
0: Trumbull, who we'll probably talk about on Friday. But uh... yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll catch up. Yeah, I know we're we'll we're going to that, we're yeah. gonna be a little bit behind on on this minute for the next minute, but the, yeah. the next minute kind of ha- has a bunch of stuff that we we, we can skip over. But yeah, yeah, I think I think we need to get back and talk talk more about the cinematographer who's in this minute, oh, Richard Klein, Mr. Klein, and, yeah. and and Trumbull. So yeah, so let's uh, let's hold here because I'm sure, sure that sure. people are trying to pull over and, and listen. So yeah, <laughs> but, as we, uh, we jo- wax about Universal Studios. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, but it, it it this has been a very great minute and I love I can you know you and I can both draw about this uh, about universal and, and this whole 1970 era um it's just such a such a powerhouse of uh, uh of new the new meeting the old or the new rising out of the old. Um uh, but we'll talk about that more on Friday. Uh, for folks who'd like to join us on our conversation you're always welcome at uh, two of our social media sites uh of course project wildfire on uh, on facebook uh, getting some feedback there would be very helpful uh, letting us you know how, how you like the direction of this particular show uh you can also reach out on twitter at Andromeda Minute, uh, subscribe and, and join us, and write us, let us, tweet us, let us know you, you're listening. Uh, for uh, if you if you'd like to listen to the previous episode here or any future episodes, uh, go over to AndromedaMinute.com and you can uh, pick up any of the shows that are out there. Uh, of course, we're always available if you subscribe to. Gosh, do uh, we have to name them all? As Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Play and Spotify and TuneIn and Stitcher you pod- and
1: Stature and Stutcher and all yeah. of
0: them. All the fancy podcast places we're <laughs> yeah. probably on there, so go go check them out. And Bert, where can they where can people uh, check in on your on your life?
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, you could find uh, my podcasts, our podcasts, uh, podcasts I've done with uh, my friend and colleague, Mister Josh Horowitz. Hi, Josh. Uh, at the usual places, definitely MoviesByMinute.com. That's where we did uh, five minutes of trouble, where we analyzed and dissected Big Trouble in Little China, and five minutes of bonsai where we did the same thing with the adventure of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. And uh, I a great
0: show, by the way, I, I, gotta to add, all I really things. enjoyed listening.
1: And we loved having you on that show. So
0: oh, a, uh, lot yeah. of fun. a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Well, I just uh, want to know what Buckaroo had to do with Project Scoop. But, you know, that's probably still classified to this day.
0: <laughs> you know, it's all buried in a mountain somewhere out, out
1: west. Flat Rock, Nevada. So, <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's reconvene in Flat Rock, Nevada on right. Friday. If that if that sounds
0: sounds good to you, sounds sounds good to me. (laughs) So uh, in the meantime, everybody, uh, wash your hands and uh, keep keep your distance, and we will see you here on Friday on the Andromeda Minute.